Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, my friends and family. 
The opening music is by Salve Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Salve. This is a wonderful uh, CD, and I know you're going to love it. So if you want to order a copy, contact Salve, S-A-V-A-E dot org, or phone 210-573-6335, because they do live shows, and if you want to check on their availability and when you can go see them, um, they have a, just just an interesting and beautiful uh, sound going on there. And um, hi, I'm again, and I'm your host, Reverend Sharma McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to provide an open-minded platform that focuses on the tenant. That Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may use any Bible you wish, of course. I have had uh, many spiritual experiences and ingratitude. Uh, we will be having ongoing Bible readings and discussion about spiritual experiences, and also be reading out of uh, guideposts and things like that and out of my book, Worth and Worship, once in a while. And uh, I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me and just reading out of the Bible. The calling number this morning for any special prayers or requests is 619-924-9744. Sacred Sunday is every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Our opening prayer for the, this morning is the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to welcome uh, everyone again, and um, let's go talk a little bit about what's happening worldwide. We pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship and their lives are in jeopardy. Please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect them and all your angels to watch over everyone. Our prayers go out to all the suffering ones in the world, including the animals that can't speak for themselves. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. We have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all the countries and their problems, and the people that suffer under tyranny. We pray for their freedom, and their freedom to worship. Our leadership is appointed by God, and we need to pray for them. And I know the angels are working overtime to correct whatever mess we seem to get ourselves in. And you're in times of deep trouble. We want to thank you, God, for everything. And we're very grateful for you, what you have given us. And sometimes in the case of what you have taken away. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to say happy birthday to everybody who has a birthday today, including Norma Barton, Ann Ward, Donna Cap, and Carmelo DiMocca. And if you have a birthday wish you want to send me or an anniversary you want us to celebrate, uh, we would read it over the air, and uh, God bless you, and, and thank you for that. And then um, last week's reading was uh, John 18, the crucifixion of the Son of God, and you know today... The trial continues, uh, and it's all leading up to the the uh, murder of our Savior today and the sacrifice of our Savior. Today, we're reading about Jesus still being held at trial, and um, everybody, uh, you can. There's also an online Bible source, www.biblia.com, and it's an excellent resource. Um, 
I have found it to be helpful when you're looking at phrases or or everything. And plus, you know, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can also uh, follow along. And um, let's see. First, you know, I wanted to actually, I found this in my my first copy of my Ryrie Study Bible. And the reason why I use Ryrie is actually I found my first copy uh, in the trash. And I picked it up and I went, wow, uh, I, you know, somebody threw it away and I guess I'll take it home, which I did and I've been reading it ever since until I wore it out. And uh, you know how you write and write and write in your Bible and now the spine is gone and there's so many things in there. Uh, you know, it's like almost like a diary really. But I found this in here and it's it's to explain why we use the sign of the cross. When we use the sign of the cross, we take three fingers together, the pointer, the middle, and the thumb, and then we put our trace, the sacred symbol, the cross, uh, so we can actually learn to do it right now. The first act, even as a little children learns the religion, is the sign of the cross. Parents teach their children to put three fingers together and the other two fingers down on the palm. Then trace the sacred symbol over their head, near the Father, and heart, near the Son, and shoulders, and the Holy Spirit. Is an act that will be used a lifetime. It is never unlearned or never changed, and often it is the last conscious act made before departure from this world. This custom is as old as the Christian faith. By the third century, Tertullian could write about it. At the beginning and during the performance of all that we do, when we go in or go out of the house, when we dress ourselves, when we lie down to rest, in fact, in everything, we mark ourselves with the sign of the cross. Yeah, this act serves as an identification by blessing myself, a person in essence is saying, I'm a Christian, I belong to Christ. It is an act that harks back to our baptism when we were born to the family of Christ. The act serves as a confession of faith. The two main beliefs in the Christian religion are professed by this sign. The three fingers together express our belief in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The two fingers down express our belief in, in the Incarnation. God the Son became man, come to our earth to save us. The act of the prayer in times of contention. The hermit St. Anthony used to say, there is no more powerful means to overcome temptations and gain victory than the sign of the cross. In private prayer and public worship, making this gesture of faith is a profound witness of our religion. So simple, even a young child does it. So profound, it embraces the totality of Christian faith. So surely the sign of the cross is part of our priceless heritage. I thought that was a nice little article, and I wanted to explain to you why we did that. And so let's do it again. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's our head, our heart, and our strength. Okay, now let's go on to chapter 9. I think everybody has their books out. So, as I said... Um, Jesus is being tried, and uh, he has just been, uh, this is, uh, okay, let's read a tiny bit in 18, so we'll just know that we're going over to 19 now. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then to release to you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barbarus. Now Barabbas was a robber. Okay, now we're in 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. The, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put them on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, 
king of the Jews and give him slaps in the face. Well, that hurts. Hurts to hear it. Pilate came out again and said to him, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I have no guilt. See, no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him for yourselves who crucified him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered them, So we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you was a still greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out again, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar, and everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. Therefore, Pilate heard these words. He brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And then he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief of priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he handed him him over to be crucified. Now we're on to the crucifixion. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he is said, I am king of the Jews. Jesus, Pilate answered, okay, let's read that again. So the chief of priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it. Let's cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, for my, and for my clothing they was cast lots. Therefore the soldier did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold. Your mother. 
From that the hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon the branch of Hesop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs be, might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who seems testified this testimony true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may also believe. For these things came to pass, not to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now we're at the burial. We're at 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea began being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and about 100 pounds weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it with linen wrappings of spice, spices, as is the custom, burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had been yet laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So that was hard to read. But I will now read the notes, and then next week we're going to talk about the reason why we're all here, the resurrection of Jesus. That's going to be in 20. So let's go back and read the notes. Yeah. Behold the man. Pilate's remark was sarcastic. He was saying, actually, look at your so-called king now. But, and then he went on seven. By that law, he ought to die. A reference to Jesus' alleged blasphemy because he claimed to be God. More afraid. Perhaps the several things of possible violence, of loss of favor in Rome for his inability to control the turbulent Jews and of some sense of Jesus' true nature which indicated in the question. And then uh, Jesus delivered me to you. He who delivered me to you. Sorry about that mistake. Evidently is a reference to Chiapas, the greatest sin. All, the is, all, all sin is sin, including Pilate, to whom Christ was delivered by the Chiapas. But some sins are worse than the others. And then we're up to 12. The Jewish authorities reverted to the political charge against Jesus, suggesting a potent threat to a provincial governor who served at the whim of the emperor, Tiberius at the time. The Jews had allegedly protested to Rome Pilate's actions in other matters where he was insensitive to their customs within the pavement. Also, certainly a large paved area that was part of the castle of Antonia at the northwest corner of the temple area in East E-C-C-E-A-C, homo arch. 
Okay, so then we're up to 1914. Pilate's sarcasm was directed to the chief of priests, whom he hated and mistrusted, and their clique. He drew from them, the, we have no king but Caesar, a blasphemous denial of the kinship of God over their nation. So when they said that, they were actually even condemning themselves further because they believed in Yahweh, one true God, yet here they're saying they believe in Caesar. So this is a mixed-up mess. Anyway, in preparation for the Passover, Friday of the Passover week, in verse 31, preparation refers to the Friday, the day of the preparation for the Sabbath. And then to be crucified, Golgotha, and talk about the garments, and they're referring us to other notes on other pages, and then sour wine, Hesop. The wine was cheap as well as sour, Hessop is likely the caper plant from which it had stems, two to three feet long. The drugged wine he refused was offered earlier before the actual crucifixion. And then it is finished. Receipts for taxes found in the papyri have written across them the single Greek word which means paid in full. The price of our redemption from sin was paid in full by our Lord's death. And then on 1931 it says, that Sabbath was a high day. The first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread fell that year on the Sabbath, making it a higher special festival. They were anxious that the body did not remain on the cross and that their legs might be broken. This was done to hasten death and, and increase pain since the victim could no longer raise himself upon the nails through his feet in order to allow himself to breathe, thus to delay his ultimate asphyxiation. The skeleton of a crucified body was found in 1968. Shows that the legs had been broken. Wow. Now let's go to Nicodemus. Apparently, had become a secret follower of Christ. 100 pounds weight, actually about 75 pounds or 34 kilos, was unusually large amount of uh, materials for the wrapping and long strips of linen. The order of Christ's appearance. Okay, we're going to go back to next. That's next time. And then they have here as notes the seven cries from the cross. And number one was, Father, forgive them. Number two was, Today you shall be with me. And that's going to be in another chapter because I know it's a little bit different every chapter about what who the writer is uh, focused on. And then, Woman, behold your son. And then, My God, my God, I'm thirsty. It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So that's the everything that's leading up to it. And let's go again about who is standing at the cross with the with of Jesus. Was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, C L O P S, and Mary Magdalene. And there's again the the disciple whom he loved was possibly John, so I don't see a note on that. But I've read it before, and I think that was John the Beloved. So, anyway, I do have another story from the guidepost this time. And I want to thank you all for listening in on our little Bible study. I appreciate it so much. And people tell me that they're they're listening, and and I hope that uh, you get something out of it, as I do. It's, It's actually giving me comfort and helping me grow. And, uh, you know, that's quite amazing that you think you're just going to have 
you know, I'm doing this in gratitude of everything God has done for me, and uh, and I love my Heavenly Father very much, and I believe in the saints, and I believe in all of it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, something you do every day, uh, every Sunday, and, of course, I pray every day. But I just want to say uh, thank you for the support and those who listen, and God bless you in every way. And I appreciate you very much. And then let's read this other story out of the guidepost. Now, this is guidepost 1997. And uh, this story itself is about the journey to Lourdes. It's by Lorraine Hendricks of Kindersville, Pennsylvania. I was only 14 years old, but I was sure I was going to die. As a high school freshman, I was a cheerleader, played varsity softball, and was involved in other teenagers' activities. When I first came down with the flu in October 1975, it didn't seem like a big deal. But after a week or two, I was still having severe headaches, dizziness, violent nausea, and excruciating pains throughout my body. Hospitalized, I was given a battery test where inconclusive, and mom and dad consulted with several specialists. None could find out what was wrong. One put me in traction to relieve my severe neck pain, but that didn't help. Another thought my illness might be psychosomatic, but tests indicated I was well-adjusted. I developed kidney problems, and because of the pain, I, I couldn't sleep. And I was told by my schoolmates as well as other people around the area, they were all praying for me. That meant a lot, but I couldn't manage it ever feeling. I couldn't imagine ever feeling well again. Then one afternoon, Mom came to my bedside. Lorraine, she said, placing a cool hand on my fever brow, "We're going to take you to Lourdes. Is that farther than Pittsburgh?" I asked. She smiled just a little bit, and then explained Lourdes was a small town in southwestern France. There, in 1858, a young peasant girl, now known as Saint Bernadette, was seen a vision of the Virgin Mary. 18 times over a five-month period. Near a grotto where the Virgin Mary appeared, muddy water would trickle from a huge rock. When Mary instructed Bernadette to drink and wash in the spring, sparkling clear water gushed forth. Since then, countless thousands have made pilgrimages to Lourdes, uh, hoping to be healed by the same miracle, miraculous water. Healing wasn't on my mind that March 10 when we took off for France. I was so sick I wanted to die. At our Paris stopover, I was wheeled to the airport dispensary where the doctor gave me a shot and helped me sleep until we landed in Lourdes. When we arrived, the flight attendant asked if we wanted an ambulance. And Mom said we would manage just with a wheelchair and a taxi. But the driver took one look at me and he wanted to take us to the hospital. No, no. A grotto. My mom persevered. And finally we arrived at the gates of the grounds surrounding the sacred shrine. But I was too ill to go on. The nuns brought me to the infirmary where I collapsed on a bed. A young American volunteer named Louise said she would sit with me. And as she read to me from her Bible, I fell asleep. Suddenly I was standing alongside my bed looking down at my body. Louise had sat reading in a gentle voice, unaware of my other presence in the room. The next thing I knew, I was outside, moving with freedom and joy I had never known before. What was happening to me? I felt no anxiety, only bliss. This is a real as life and definitely not a dream. Somehow I became aware that she was beside me, a lady with long flowing gown, gliding along with me as I continued on my journey. I couldn't see her face because of a hood hung over her head, but she exuded a love that transcended anything I've ever experienced. 
There were no talk between us, just a kind kind of intuitive communication. We floated about five feet above the ground, moving along over a sweeping green meadow sprinkled with exquisite purple violets. My eyes were drawn to a lone tree whose branches spread like loving arms. The lady spoke at my side. Her voice was almost musical yet firm. You must go back now, she said. I don't want to go back, I pleaded. My body I left is dying. You must go back to prove to others that God exists today. The next thing I knew, I was back in my body, and I opened my eyes and looked into the anxious faces of my mom and dad. We've been trying to wake you, Mom said, but you weren't responding. It's time to go to the bath, Dad said. My limbs were as weak as ever, and I felt as nauseated and sick as before. My parents wheeled my chair outside, and we walked with Louise through the grounds to the shrine. Therefore, before my eyes stretched the same beautiful green fields scattered with purple flowers, and the distance stood a majestic lone tree with sheltering branches. It's the tree on which St. Bernadette leaned when she had her last separation, Louise explained. I smile. I had seen it all before. We passed the rocky grotto and reached the building housing the baths. Inside were separate areas for men, women, and children. There was a moistness in the air that, like that over a mountain brook in the morning. I was undressed, and a blue cape was wrapped around my body. Then some women helped me to the bath, a long, wide marble tub full of Lord's water. My mother knelt by my wheelchair and prayed. The women ceased eased me down, sorry, the women eased me down two steps into the deep, deep water, where I was led to the statue of the Blessed Mother. Someone poured water on my head. Then when I was helped out of the water, I realized to my surprise I was already dry. Oh, yes, one of the women said. That is one of the little miracles of the Lord. I dressed and bundled, I was dressed and bundled in my wheelchair, feeling as bad as ever. And the nuns gave me the taxi special permission to drive in and pick us up for our return trip to the hotel where we were staying. At the motel, I got into bed and instantly sank into a deep sleep. Hours must have passed. I slowly awakened. I moved my legs and stretched my arms. I sat up in disbelief. There was no pain. I felt strong. I put my feet on the floor and I stepped to the bathroom mirror. My eyes were shining. My cheeks were rosy. I was no longer trapped inside an unhealthy body. I was whole again. Mother and Dad came running in, and we all cried for joy and laughed in exultation. Later that day, I walked confidently through the gates of Lord's when it began. That with me and several of the sisters who had been with me that day before were stunned. They told me I seemed so sick that they feared I would not make it through the night. And now I was here full of life. As I entered the shrine's basilia, I knelt before the altar and gave thanks to God for my healing and for the beautiful lady I had met at Lord's. Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. I love that. Wow, it's just so touching. Okay, I want to thank you all for tuning in this morning. And uh, please join us next week for we'll do another Bible reading and we'll go on to uh, Jesus' resurrection, which is uh, John chapter 20. And uh, we'll also be reading uh, from the my book and Guy Post story again. And so let's say our traditional closing prayer after a moment silent meditation for those out there that are still suffering. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. 
And in closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms so that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. You are never alone. God loves you and may your best dreams come true and true love live in your heart. Remember, you can message me with any concerns or requests for prayers or if you need to discuss something. Bye-bye, my friends, and happy trails to you. God bless you.